Did you get it? Yeah. Thank you, tech crew. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for those words, Brian and Beth. Words have so much power. Religious and spiritual and ethical teachings and traditions around the world teach, often as a central teaching, that using words with care is paramount to living in a way that is aligned with our values, a way that's aligned with life itself. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, says the old idiom. What a profound lie that is. This lie has been told to children for generations, telling them that their internal experience is wrong, that they shouldn't be hurt by words. We know that words matter. We know they have the power to deeply wound. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, words can crush my soul. Broken bones can heal without psychological scarring, but words, words can convince me that I'm worthless, that I don't belong, that I'm broken or a burden or shouldn't exist. Rabbi Heschel had preached that the truth that the Holocaust began not with crematoria, but with words. We humans are storytellers. We create meaning through stories and we create stories through language. Our brains are hardwired to look for difference and sameness, who is like me and who is not like me. But words are what teach us what meaning to ascribe to those differences. Is like me inherently good, better, right? Is not like me inherently suspect, lesser, wrong? Dehumanization, that psychological process that conditions us to perceive particular people as undeserving of basic human rights is rooted in language, inflammatory words and propaganda. The stories we hear and tell shape how we perceive each other's worth and dignity. Taken to the furthest extreme, dehumanization leads to genocide, but it starts with words. Words that condition us to look the other way, when those who are described in less than human ways suffer or worse contribute to those injustices ourselves. Liberation can also be considered in part a psychological process rooted in language and stories. Grace Lee Boggs taught that visionary organizing begins by creating the images and the stories of the future that help us imagine and create alternatives to the existing system taught that what we cannot imagine cannot come into being. Language can be used to destroy and divide life, but it can just as easily be used to nourish and unite life. Words can free our minds from oppressive ways of being and open us to life-giving possibilities, help us imagine and work toward a different, better world. I have a particular affinity for words, because one of the hats that I wear in the world is that I'm an editor. Before I started doing ministry, I was a copy editor. I actually worked at our own Beacon Press. And these days, in addition to preaching and helping congregation congregations practice radical welcome, I also do what I call my word nerd ministry. 
I help people understand the power of words. And I also work to help people move from a mindset of correctness to a mindset of care when it comes to language. You see, even if you're on board with the idea that language has power and the truth that words can be dehumanizing or liberating, most of us have been taught to think of language as correct or incorrect, whether we're talking about grammar, definitions, or what term to use to describe a particular group of people. But I strongly believe that a faithful, spiritual, ethical approach to language requires care, not correctness. And a lot of people find it surprising that a copy editor would argue against correctness. Isn't copy editing literally about correcting things like grammar, spelling, and the like? A lot of people think so, but I see things differently. In the words of Daniel Jose Older, the function of language is to communicate things clearly. The function of grammar and rules around language are to facilitate that communication. Language rules aren't about correctness to me. They're about facilitating communication, helping as many people as possible understand what is being expressed, which is really important with a language like English because if we're honest, English is a bit of a mess, right? Not only is it a hodgepodge of spellings and norms, but it's spoken by a billion and a half people all over the world. There can't possibly be one universally correct way to spell or pronounce or string together English words, because depending on where you live, you might say, g'day, mate, or all right, love, or how's it going, pal, or what do you at by? Which of these greetings is the correct one? None of them, because it depends on context, right? And it's not just about where you live, it's about all sorts of things. If I'm editing a cookbook or a novel or a zine or a textbook or a restaurant menu, I'm gonna apply different standards in each of those contexts. So some of you are with me, but a lot of you are going, okay, sure, but correctness still matters. Without rules, there'd be chaos. Am I right? You can be honest. I know some of you are thinking that, but I'm here to tell you that if you think in terms of what's correct, you will unconsciously or consciously think in terms of right and wrong, good and bad. And that is a slippery slope to believing that those who use right, good, correct words are right, good, correct people. And those who use wrong, bad, incorrect words are wrong, bad, incorrect people. If, on the other hand, you think in terms of care, that's an invitation to consider things like what makes the most sense in this context? What rules apply in this context? How can I facilitate communication across lines of difference in this context? It's an invitation to embrace the truth that no word has a single correct meaning or use for all people, regions, cultures. Even things like capitalization and punctuation follow different norms in different contexts. Correctness invites rigidity and closed-mindedness. Care invites curiosity and open-mindedness. 
Now I'd have to preach a whole other sermon to really get into the details of how standard English was constructed to uplift the way that people with the most power, status, and wealth speak and write, and how many of the rules of standard English are actually helpful in terms of facilitating communication. But many other rules serve no purpose other than separating those who've been trained in standard English from those who haven't, and in the process, diminishing, demeaning, or disregarding the latter. I don't have time to go fully into that today. You can find more on that, those topics on my blog, Radical Copy Editor. But it's really important to be aware of what we have internalized as correct and attend to the impacts of all of that on how we live and how we treat others. As Arshad Gamier tells us, words are instruments. They aren't inherently correct or incorrect, right or wrong. They're simply tools. Every tool is a weapon if you hold it right, sings Ani DeFranco. What matters is how the word is used. Even words that are treated as completely taboo, like the N-word or curse words, have their place, their appropriate context. So I want to try something a little different here. Hopefully your game. I want to ask you to personally reflect on what a couple of different words mean to you, the knee-jerk associations you have with just a few words. Are you game? Nobody's. Oh, Zaya, great. I see some nodding. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to say a word, and my invitation is to feel into what this word brings up for you, the emotional flavor of this word for you, what it means um, to you, and then to sit together in quiet reflection for a few seconds thinking about this word. Are you ready for your first word? Okay, great. The first word is water. What does the word water mean to you, remind you of, bring up for you? How does this word make you feel? Let's reflect in silence. Thank you for playing my game. The dictionary definition of water is, in part, a liquid oxide of hydrogen H2O, which freezes at zero degrees Celsius, boils at 100 degrees Celsius, has a maximum density at four degrees Celsius, is feebly ionized to hydrogen and hydroxyl ions, and is a poor conductor of electricity and a good solvent. How many of you thought of that definition when I asked you to reflect on what the word water means to you? How likely is it that if we went around the room in person and online, everyone would say the same thing, have the same associations with this word? Some of you might have thought of drinking water or the ocean or rain. Some of you might have thought about how cool it is that water can be a liquid, a solid, or a gas. Some of you might have thought of natural disasters or Standing Rock or Flint, Michigan. Some of you might love water and some of you might fear it. It's almost like the context of our lives informs our knee-jerk associations with this word. Okay, next word. Our next word is queer. Q-U-E-E-R, queer. 
what does the word queer mean to you, remind you of, bring up for you? How does this word make you feel? Let's reflect. This one's trickier, right? To some people, the word queer is a violent, dehumanizing word. And to others, it's an empowering, liberating word. I happen to use this word to describe both my gender and my sexuality. There's no other word that works quite like it for me. It means something very specific and very fantastic to me. I know other people who find this word deeply wounding and would prefer to never see it or hear it. I honor that truth. Neither truth is wrong. Both are valid. If our orientation to language is grounded in being correct, this doesn't work. It doesn't work for us to have conflicting understandings of this word or any word. Someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. But if we're grounded in care, we can get curious about why these differences exist and we can respect each other's truths. I can practice care in not calling someone queer if doing so feels violent to them. And they can practice care by calling me queer because I need that in order to feel understood and affirmed. Okay, last word, just one more. Ready? You're like, oh no, <laughs> what's Alex gonna throw at us next? Okay, your third and final word is God. What are your associations with the word God? What does this word mean to you? Let's reflect. My friends, I believe it is vitally important. I believe it is in fact central to our Unitarian Universalist faith to affirm that multiple conflicting truths can be true at once. That there is no one correct definition of a word any more than there is one correct set of beliefs about that which is greater than ourselves or what happens after death. If we can affirm, which I desperately hope we can, that the word water can bring up different things to different people based on their life experiences. And the word queer has multiple conflicting definitions, all of which are true. Then we can affirm that words like God and church and prayer can feel both deeply connecting and deeply off-putting at the same time to different people and that neither of those people are wrong. Can we affirm this? Can we open ourselves to the truth that the dictionary definition of a word isn't all there is to it? That searching for or arguing about the most correct way to use words does not serve us as Unitarian Universalists? I really need us to affirm this because I have been profoundly disheartened by the rigidity and judgment that I have experienced in UU spaces when it comes to words. I was raised in a UU church where there was a very strong aversion to the word God. I have personally known UUs and have heard of many others who counted the number of times the word God was used in worship services in order to complain about it 
to their minister. When I was working at the UUA's headquarters 10 years ago, there was a congregation in which a gay man put forward a resolution to ban the word queer in his church. This intolerance for particular words is rooted in correctness. My definition of a word is the correct one, the only one. And if I dislike it, it must be a wrong word. If that word means something entirely different to someone else, something beautiful and profound, I'll never know. I'll never have the chance to expand my mind, my heart, or my world. I'll never be able to be in real relationship with people who have different definitions of that word. And the rigidity and intolerance of my fellow UUs isn't just limited to definitions of words. It also extends to grammar norms. I can't tell you the number of non-binary people like me who have been subjected to the argument, well, I can't respect your pronouns because of grammar. They and them are plural words, not singular. End of story. Do you have any idea what it feels like to be told, I will only accept you and respect you if you use words correctly according to what I was taught in school? Too many of us do know what that feels like, whether we're non-binary or don't speak English as a first language or speak a maligned dialect or slang or just follow different punctuation norms in text messages than we do in academic papers. How is it aligned with our UU faith to only accept and respect others if they use words correctly, according to standards that are overwhelmingly white, upper class, and at an educational level held by only a fraction of the population. It's not. It's not aligned with our UU faith. Correctness does not serve us as people of faith and conscience. It hinders us. It turns out there are a lot of things we were taught in school and by the people around us that are flat out wrong. And as Unitarian Universalists, we are not meant to hold fast to dogmatic rules. We are meant to grow, to unlearn together the things that block us from being in true right relationship with each other and with all of life. Words create worlds. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every communication has the potential to nourish, ease suffering and create peace, or to poison, increase suffering and create violence. Words are vital instruments. Language is spirit and our words are medicine. My friends, putting love at the center of how we use words is actually pretty darn difficult. It's a spiritual practice. We won't get there by holding fast to being correct. We can only get there by letting care be our guiding star. So as you go forth from here today, consider how to bring more care and less correctness into your approach to language. Free yourself from rigid, intolerant, judgmental approaches to words. Open yourself to curiosity about what words mean to others and the impacts of language rules and norms on others. 
affirm that people matter more than punctuation. Respect matters more than subject-verb agreement. Relationship matters more than your definition being the right definition. I promise you, this practice will open you to so much possibility and beauty, so many different ways of being, and ultimately a deeper experience of Unitarian Universalism and of life itself. Amen. Ashe. Aho. And blessed be.